Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by The Zombie Apocalypse. Can you imagine how dirty a zombie's underwear is? Uh, let's start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by GBZ Online. The news that harasses victims of tragedy for your 30 seconds of viewing pleasure. Get the scoop at GBZ Online. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Vessel. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is the film podcast made by filmmakers for everybody's pleasure. Um, yeah. One of the things uh, you are, on top of being a full-time producer, uh, filmmaker, you're good at editing like you're a multi-talented person but you're also a musician and so i think you would appreciate the fact that i just spent the last couple of days hanging out at acl music is one of those things man for me that i i always forget how important it is to me because i can be so information heavy sometimes and getting out and forcing myself to say oh go deal with crowds and go sit in the sun and listen to music and getting out there i was like oh god i gotta do this every year like every time i i make it out there i'm just you know renewed it re-inspires me and i don't know it's just fun to get out and have a bunch of people yelling and like see people yeah bands that you like i got to see several bands i saw black pumas for the first time oh yeah what'd you think god they're just excellent and one of the oh. things, oh my God. So you, maybe you can answer this question for me because I saw them, I saw George Strait and they both ended with a cover song. Well, maybe not end to end black Pumas ended their set with a cover and God, man, they did Tracy Chapman fast car. Like the, the, the front man oh. retired the band and just grabbed his guitar and he did this incredible cover of uh, Tracy Chapman. And it was just like, oh my God, this is fantastic and then george Strait at the end did a cover of a uh, tom petty um i didn't recognize the song i'm not a big tom petty guy and so i don't know if that's a if that's a big thing george's so I, I i went to acl for two bands george Strait, he's been my white whale i have i've never got to see him in concert and uh, he just doesn't tour anymore and so it's you got to catch him at the right time and or at least doesn't tour much and also to see future islands uh and so Loved seeing George. I wasn't crazy about his set list. Like George has an absolutely insane catalog. He could fill up at least two hours with nothing but his jams. And I don't know, I guess he's put out, he never stops putting out music because he's put out, I think, two records in the last couple of years. And so he was playing a lot of deep cuts off those that I just didn't recognize. And so I got maybe 30 or 40 minutes of stuff and i'm good with george up until like 2015 and, he, and so all the songs that i really wanted to hear i only heard you know a fraction of them which is fine like play your new stuff i think whenever he started playing his tequila song for his uh his tequila investment like i was like oh, oh my gosh don't do that george um but Come i on. get it i mean you're an artist you sell your stuff but at the same time i don't know i was just thrilled because i was very close to the stage i got to the to his show like two hours early just so that i could have a good spot and like you know um i could have almost high-fived him at one point you know and so Dude, I, was, I was pretty close and could not have been more excited to to see him and he's great he's a great performer like i it's simple it's, it's slimmed down but he's george freaking straight and he, he just command he commands the stage it's 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 amazing future islands 
was great. But before I talk about them, is there a thing about bands doing a cover as kind of this hat tip to artists they love, or is that just sporadic and random? There's no real truism to that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's a thing, you know, mm. necessarily, but, uh, but for someone like black Pumas, so I know Eric, the, that singer, you do, he used to date a girl that I worked with. And so, I mean, you know, I mean, we, he would know me if he saw me, he'd say, mm. Todd, I, you know, like we're not like best buds or anything, right. but you know, I saw him play when he was nothing, you know, and that wasn't even that long ago. That was four years ago. Right. He was nothing. I mean, it, like playing, for, you know, 20 people in the middle of the day on a Sunday at brunch, you know what I mean? And he would, he would bust out sitting on the dock of the bay and just slay it, you know, like the guy was just really good, but, but he was unassuming, you Mm. know, he was this, this guy who just, he was just good. He wasn't like incredible where you, you know, you listen to the guy, just like that guy's going to be famous. He was just good. He was just really good. And then uh, they broke up and I left that job and or in the other order. And then uh, and then colors came out and then everything was just just insane. Um, So with him, he's really good at stuff like that. He's really good at like, what did you say that they covered? Tracy Chapman. Tracy Chapman. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, he's really good at stuff like like Otis Redding is one of his favorites. So um, really good at any Otis Redding stuff, which Otis Redding is one of my favorite voice, voices of all time. So, you know, it's, I'm not putting him in that category, right. but I am putting him up there. Like if if you can sing that and get away with it and actually sound pretty good, there, there's something about you. And he's he's just really good. So I think, you know, it's also a way to not do the stereotypical end with your hit. You know, I mean, I know that they, they have, you know, a few songs that are pretty known, but colors is by far the most known. And so, you know, if you want to be a little bit different, you play it early in the set, you let people, you know, bring people over to the stage and then you end with something that they know anyway, that you know that you can slay. Hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter if there's a band or if it's acoustic or whatever, you just, you know, it, it brings the people in to then leave them. So yeah, I think it's a cool move if you can pull it off, you know, if you can pull off Tracy Chapman as well as someone like Eric can. Yeah. Why not? Did he kill it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, again, that's my first time seeing them. I'm sure I've heard them before when he played colors. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I know the song, mm-hmm. but yeah, the whole performance was just excellent. And he completely owned that crowd. Like yeah. everyone was just wow. there wrapped and I mean, I guess I was fairly close because I was getting there early for for George anyway. But Same stage. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that surprised me uh, to whatever degree, like I don't I'm not familiar with how famous they are or, or not. I know Ricky, my producer that was on for Ready Player One a couple weeks ago. That's his favorite band. Like yeah. he's been I've heard, been hearing him talk about them for, I don't know, four or five years, uh, at least three or four. And he was hunting for vinyls. Like he was always just big. And we went to Gourmand's uh, over the summer after wrapping a shoot and Eric was over there and Ricky, you know, kept his cool, but I could see he was kind of freaking out. That's right. right. (laughs) And he went over and just said hi and shook his hand. And Eric, you know, got up, came to our table, super humble, 
shook everybody's hand, introduced himself. I had no, I mean, I really didn't know who he was. Um, uh, but I could just tell this is like good people, really good attitude. Just asked about our day, what we were up to and all that kind of thing. You know, That's he, cool. he was finishing up a meal. Like he didn't have to do that. There was no one else there. Like, uh, he could have easily gotten away with, you know, just minding his own business, but super chill guy. And he just destroyed the stage, man. I was, oh, I love that. I love that, man. Couldn't believe it. And then future islands, I saw them the next day. My God, that was as good as Pumas were. Uh, Future Islands was my favorite sh- performance of the weekend just because you would think that guy. And this is the thing that blew me away. Okay, so I get there. I listen to Future Islands a lot. Like they are heavy in my rotation, as you know. Um, yeah, and but at the same time, I'm a music lover, but I that's where it stops with me. I don't go and research bands and look into them. And so. I didn't really know what future islands look like. The guy walks on stage and I think it's like a roadie doing a mic test. Um, uh, <laughs> he does have that. Look. <laughs> That's so great. That's the best way to describe that guy. <laughs> and he does, he grabs the mic and he's like, what's up Austin? And I was like, Oh, he's going to introduce uh future islands. That's cool. <laughs> so good. And then he kicks off the song and I was like, Oh, this is him. And I could hear someone on my left kind of echoing the same sentiments like, wait, who is this guy? Because he's just, I don't know. He's kind of, he's not wearing like uh, a rock star outfit, which is really cool, but it's very unassuming, right? He's just kind of got, he's got jeans on and like this buttoned up short sleeve shirt that is maybe a size too small. Uh, And he really just looks like someone wandered onto the stage and just, you know, tore the place down because he gets going and he every square inch of that stage is his and it was just absolutely mind-blowing and if you can sit there and watch him perform and be unmoved check your pulse man it was just it was inspiring like i just could not believe how good he was and wow. uh there's just no pretense to it this is the same feeling i had watching maggie uh, maggie rogers um because she was had that same kind of uh, flavor and energy to her where uh, it's uninhibited. It's completely raw and just unrehearsed, you know, and maybe he's done a lot, a lot of those moves, but um, you wouldn't think he's ever watched himself in a mirror while he did it. <laughs> like it's just oh, yeah, yeah. completely honest. And uh, yeah, I was just torn. I was like, man, I could give this guy two hours easily. Um, and so if he, if they end up doing a show by themselves, coming back through Austin, I'll definitely, be buying a ticket for that yeah so awesome they crushed it uh and then of course uh doja cat was great i i sat down and just listened to doja i i think i stood for one song i was really far away this was one that i was like a million miles away from the stage and so looking at her on the stage she was not even an ant uh i had to watch the jumbotron and i could see some of the the performance she looks from the Jumbotron, though, she can freaking dance. She put on a great show. But then after that, Billie Eilish came on. And so I got really close for that. And I had already made up my mind. I was going to stay for an hour and then bounce out and listen to some on my way out. And then, you know, try to catch a, a cheaper ride. I didn't want to pay $75 for an Uber. Yeah. And so she's absolutely just... You didn't move, did you? God. Well, I did... Here was the thing I, I, I was, I was debating cause it got to about 45 minutes. I was like, Oh, I've only heard about half the tracks I want to hear. And I was like, ah, I need to go. Cause I was really feeling tired. Like 
I, I mm. ingested some things that were taking their toll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. The, the day okay. was wearing on me. Uh, I'm sure if I checked my steps, I'd probably walked, you know, 15 miles at least. Um, yeah. And so I was just, I was feeling it, you know, in the sun or whatever. And so, but then she, uh, right at, like the 56 minute mark she plays uh ocean eyes and i was like okay i can walk out on this because uh this is it's 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 an incredible song and what i love she did so much that i loved i mean her energy was real she created this slope on the stage so that if she walked to the back of the stage it raised her position so that everyone could get a better look at her um, awesome and she had this lift like i I've been to, you know, only a few ACL shows, but I'd never seen like stagey things like this. And she jumped on this lift at one point, this platform that elevated her like 30, 40 feet in the air, uh, kind of bounced on it. And the crowd was like, oh, she's like, no, 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 it's safe. I'm good. <laughs> like, because you, you get out there on this arm. It's almost like one of those telephone lift things. Um, and she's performing in there. And then uh, she gets on this other crazy, like long speaker thing and she's elevated on that uh and then she also did this stage extension that let her walk like 50 feet into the audience elevated and so she did all they these never do that at acl that i saw your post and i was like whoa is she walking on a catwalk do they have yeah. a catwalk there they never have one okay I it's always so. like it's always like a a center aisle right so like like, you know, when I saw Vetter there, he, he like did a, it was raining. So he did like a mudslide down the aisle. Like, so it's like on the ground, but she oh, had a catwalk. She did. And wow. It was just cool. I took a video uh, at one point. They, they give their, I don't their drummer a break and her brother comes down, grabs a guitar and it's just them sitting. Playing oh, a song. God, those are the ones. <laughs> I took a video. I didn't send it to you yet. I'll send it to you because it's just, it's like it's perfect um and is it the one are they sitting on a bed no uh they, they used to do that edge of a stage but yeah edge of the stage yeah oh, it's just which perfect. one was it which one was it? i can't remember you know? that uh okay. the set's all mixed up in my head but i was just like man todd would just freaking adore this right now yeah she she kills me man <laughs> she kills me there so is good. i mean yeah i don't there's no other artist right now really that i listen to that just the you talk about honesty right and and being genuine to who you are and i just don't i don't see anybody else that way um more than her i just the music she makes the way she makes it the things that she writes about and says she has no fear you know and even even when she she did the cover of what was it vogue and she like went blonde and put on this bustier kind of like like mm -hmm. uh, uh outfit and i was like not having it i didn't <laughs> like it but that's fine yeah, you know yeah. it's fine that i don't i didn't like it at the time i mean i still don't but like she doesn't give a shit like yeah. it's her it's it's her journey it's the way she she's telling it doing it the way that she wants to everything she has a hundred percent creative control so kudos to her label like she travels with her family uh when she tours they make their music on the fucking road <laughs> Right. She'll be sitting in she'll be sitting in a hotel room or the back of the bus and he just has his laptop and a and a Neumann mic and they sing and she tracks vocals. Like that like that. 
you know, and that's cool, man. They, but, and sometimes the music comes fast, but other times it takes months to happen and they tell you about it and they're honest about it. And they're like, it's just so, so cool. And Phineas is just, I mean, I have a few producers that in, you know, uh, Jack Antonoff is one that I'm just obsessed with. He does everything. He does all the Taylor Swift stuff. He does the, did the last Dixie Chicks record. He's, he's amazing. But Phineas is probably my favorite producer right now by far. The guy murders, just destroys tracks for that girl. You know, I mean, he has some really amazing stuff himself, but like for her, God, just he produces the shit out of him, man. And they're so, they're just so creative. That's so good that they're so that they're that you love that show. I'm very makes me happy that you that you got to see it and experience and. I think if she comes back through and I can get like really good tickets, I would be down to pay like a few hundred to, to sit, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 20 rows out or whatever. Yeah. Hordes of people were covering something else that has hordes of people as well. Uh, way off topic. And where are we at now? <laughs> oh, well, that is a yeah. weird <laughs> Real transition. Very. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So today we are covering Dawn of the Dead. If you're still with us after that conversation, great. Pause the episode. Um, go watch that because we're going to spoil a lot of stuff and we don't we don't want to do that. So give you a spoiler alert right now. For sure. We'll cover a lot of things, I suspect. Uh, we'll talk about some of the cinematography and editing, uh, the little details that they include. Um, we'll also touch on story and writing, the iconic moments, the smooth exposition that they uh, insert and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a quick synopsis of the film, a nurse, a policeman and other survivors of the zombie apocalypse take refuge in a shopping mall. It's directed by Zack Snyder, screenplay by James Gunn, based on the screenplay by George Romero, cinematography by Matthew F. Leonetti. It's starring Sarah Pauly as Anna, Ving Rhames as Ken, Mackay Pfeiffer as Andre, Jake Weber as Michael, Ty Burrell as Steve, and Michael Kelly as CJ. Excuse me, uh, not to shit on anyone's riff here, but let me just see if I grasp this concept, okay? You're suggesting that we take some fucking parking shuttles and reinforce them with some aluminum siding and then just head on over to the gun store. We watch our good friend Andy play some cowboy movie, jump on the covered wagon bullshit. Then we're going to drive across the ruined city through a welcome committee of a few hundred thousand dead cannibals, all so that we can sail off into the sunset on this fucking asshole's boat and head for some island that for all we know doesn't even exist. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm in. That's obviously the, the not not the smooth exhibition I was talking about. It's pretty on its face, um, and it's fun. It's entertaining. It works. But I don't know. I don't think we've ever really talked about Dawn of the Dead, either one of them, the original, um, let alone you know this one, I guess. Uh, so I don't really have any anticipation of if this is your kind of zombie film or if it holds up or if you went in anticipating good things or not uh is this is this a big thumbs up or down or ambivalent so i mean this was during and during a time where there was i felt like there were a ton of like zombie films coming this out. comes on the heels of 2002 is when 20 days later kind of redefined the genre and then you also had Shaun right. of the dead uh that came out right around 0405 
and then Dawn of yeah. the Dead, of course, um, in 04. And so, yeah, there yeah. was a, a, a splurge of zombie films happening. Yeah. And so I was, by the time this came out, I, I don't know, I was just kind of like over it. It was like the vampire situation, right? Mm. When all the vampire movies are coming out, it was just like, man, really? But I love apocalypse, apocalyptic movies. Um, I don't really give a shit what <laughs> happens. I just... I don't know why. I don't know. <laughs> I just like <laughs> when the world ends and someone has to figure out how to survive. I feel like maybe it's trying to teach me something because when the world ends, I'm going to have to like, I don't know, know how to start a fire or something. I, you know, whatever. What I will die immediately. That's really the reality of what will happen. But so I do like those. Um, and there's aspects of this film that I really enjoy. I really like that they start it's already started basically when we, when we start the movie, I mean, I know she's still at work, but there are reports and somebody has been bitten and is in ICU. And, you know, so stuff is already happening. We don't mm -hmm. have to, I mean, we have to wait a little bit for the action, but we don't know when it's coming, you know? So there's already suspense from the very beginning. So I like that a lot. The little girl at the beginning is great. I mean, you know, creepy little girls that's, that's how you that's how you sell a, a scary movie uh there were some things that were didn't feel right you know for one the girl let's just start there i mean like she's a zombie why is she gonna stand in the doorway and let someone wake up she's just mm. gonna run in and eat you right that's just what what happens so um i get i get it for the story mm -hmm. you know but that was one thing i was like why, why isn't she running in and whatever and then a few other things but for the most part, like if you're asking me what, you know, if I liked it, yes, I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was a good popcorn movie. Uh, it's not going to change the genre, mm -hmm. you know, like 28 Days Later did, but it's going to, it, it's it's definitely going to get my dollars to get me into the theater to see it for sure. Because just because of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what I would give it quite yet, but I think I think I really did enjoy it. I think you said it really well, though, like this is not a horror film with like a message or um, it's not trying to accomplish anything other than pure entertainment value. Right. Right. Like this is by contrast, the original Dawn of the Dead was making this kind of light commentary about consumerism. That's why it takes place at a mall. Um, and they insert some of these gags that kind of reinforce this idea that we're all zombies to consumerism. And that's kind of the fun thing about zombies. You, you can distort and use them and abuse them to tell a variety of stories. Like 20 Days Later, World War Z, the original Dawn of the Dead. These are all telling very different ideas and stories using the very same exact premise and this ejects from all of that and i think it does help to i didn't realize until watching it this time that it was written by james gunn and that explains so much because if you are familiar with most of his films uh, or even his recent ones you know that he is an entertainment writer uh if mm -hmm. you look at whether it's slithering uh, or just slither uh slither and uh, the guardians films suicide squad like he just enjoys popcorn like he's gonna have a lot of fun and if he can insert anything on top of that great but i always think his number one goal is uh to just entertain you and so mm -hmm. um him having written this makes a lot of sense for sure to me uh but there's so many like of these I feel like iconic moments the that opening scene that you were just talking about right the girl in the hallway like the husband attacking her, her flying backwards into the bathtub and escaping out the window. Like this is a very easy to spot. If anyone played like 
just showed you a frame from any of that whole opening sequence, you would instantly recognize it because I feel like it's just that well known and that, I don't know, effective at doing what it's trying to do. And it's breathless, like that whole opening sequence. And I agree. I understand the point you're making. Like they, they're ejecting a little bit of reality or, you know, this version of reality from not having her attack, you know, right off the bat. Obviously it's for dramatic effect and we we both know that, but it works so well, right? It's just slowly unveiling and allowing the characters to tease the audience. But that whole opening sequence, like we feel trapped, I feel trapped. And I also, especially the first time watching it, I'm like, she just locked herself in the bathroom. This is the worst place to be in the house. She can't escape. Like she needs to get out through the front door. Um, and of course she finds a way. And it's just these really strong, incredible visuals that compel you to feel a certain kind of way. Um, and I think, you know, they just absolutely nail it. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll touch on some more of the iconic moments. But how did you feel about the zombie baby? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, I don't know why I knew you were going to go there at some point. Um, uh, for those of you who don't listen very often, I, I really hate child violence. I feel like it's pointless and meaningless and, and doesn't need to happen in entertainment purposes, for entertainment purposes, nine out of ten times. But, I mean, in this case... Because I mean, nine out of ten, ten times, there's no point to it. They're not trying right, to exactly. extract anything other than shock value. And if you're only doing yeah. it for shock value, that instead of like... Let's tell a story and it's interesting. Um, that's exactly very exactly. satisfying. Like, you know, if it moves the story forward, then then by all means, you mm -hmm. know. But but yeah, for that, I, I mean, I think that was OK. You know, um, like I, I got it. Um, I mean, um, I like how they set it up. Right. He has that conversation with with Ving Rames's character with Ken in the in the bathroom and saying, saying, you know, I've done some messed up stuff in my life. But as long as that baby, I can bring that baby into the world you know, it'll save me essentially. Right. And so when he can't save his, his girlfriend and he can't save the baby, he just kind of loses it. Right. And he's just, you know, I like that the, that they didn't make the baby, you know, like scamper across the floor and creepy <laughs> thing like that. You know, it's a freaking baby. It has no muscle tone at all. It's never going to be, it's not gonna be able to do that. So I did like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it was a good little thing to add in there. You know, yeah, I think I mean, it's obviously not exactly horrific, but kind of I mean, it's like, yeah, there's all this curiosity they build up around it. It's also kind of comical, right? You're, uh, it's got this kind mm -hmm. of like shock value to it. And for that purpose, I don't think they I think that's what they wanted. I think they wanted it to be kind of outrageous, um, kind of comical, kind of horrific. And it's just pure entertainment, right? It absolutely works for that. Like you're both amused and terrified um, of of the prospect. Like it, it all kind of ties together and plays right into, you know, the the goal of let's just have fun um, and, and do mm -hmm. weird zany things, I guess. And I, I also think they, they earn that moment, right? A lot of buildup. Uh, like you said, there was that great conversation between Ken and Andre, and there's a lot of curiosity about once she starts turning, you're like, well, what happens to the baby? And so we're just curious if she's going to deliver a zombie baby or if the baby's fine. And the whole birthing process was appropriately disgusting for a zombie yeah. birth, <laughs> like blood just going haywire. It's so gross. And Andre had appropriately flipped out. And I mean, honestly, Todd, isn't that an accurate depiction of parenthood? 
Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, what it would have been cool if the baby would have survived, right? Like mm. if it wasn't a zombie, like if it was, if it was real. And now all of a sudden they have, the, there's this extra level of, oh, these, these people really need to survive now because they got to save, you know, that baby. But no, I, I had the same thought too. You know, it, kind of kicks off the interesting premise of what happens if a, that baby comes out normal and has some kind of antibody or whatever that um, could be the the cure for, for zombieism. Um, right. And you have to be delicate with that because on its face, it can be really, really hokey. But if you string it out and that seems like more of a, a TV series, you know, 10, 20 episode kind of thing. I don't know. Could be fun. Interesting. Could be terrible. Both, yeah. both work for me. <laughs> I, I <don't>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like you, I, I'm probably going to watch every zombie film, every apocalyptic film. I'm probably, just, so. I, I do like I do like the fast zombies. So I mm. like that they made them fast. They weren't like lazy, you know, like mm. Walking Dead style. I hate that, you know. Um, I, although I think if zombies were to happen, they'd probably be more like that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of motor this, control that goes into sprinting and running and jumping and diving. Yeah. <laughs> like I really, uh, one scene I really like a lot is when her husband at the beginning is chasing her in the car oh. and then he just sees somebody standing in their yard and he just <laughs> like veers off and goes and tackles them. <laughs> I thought that that was awesome. Amazing awareness that these zombies have, you know, and not a lot of attention span, but man, once, once you catch their attention and I love, oh man, I love that scene because he's barefoot and he's going full tilt. Um, yes. That's it's really intense and a great way to like kick off the the feel and the tone of the film for sure. Agreed. As far as iconic moments, uh, celebrity zombies. I thought that's hilarious. Like what a great comedic relief. Uh, it's really clever. Like, oh, and they kind of let you lead the way of discovering what they're doing. They don't just immediately spell it out like, hey, we're going to do X, Y, Z. They just instead allow you to uncover their goals and what they're doing. Um, Burt Reynolds, Reynolds and Rosie O'Donnell. That's great. <laughs> so good. Uh, another in that's, I think iconic elevating music. I feel like this, I don't feel like I'd seen this before. Um, and it's so obvious on its face, uh, but they narrowly escape a horde of zombies by getting into the elevator. And then, you know, they were just kind of, bopping along to like this jazz piano cover of air supply or whoever <laughs> it's just it's so good and the 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 worst guy the one we hate is just like hey i love this song and it's just yeah yeah it's a comedy at the right time and horror films um have really good dividends because there's so much tension that you know you can you can use comedy to cut and that gets you a little bit more of that giddy laughter and um yeah. it's just a little release valve for the audience that's a good way to describe it actually right? yeah because if a film is tense the entire time then not only is everyone exhausted but then you know when tense stuff happens what are you going to get more tense and then more <laughs> and more there's only like so much that you can do so if you can pull it back and then rev it back up again then it'll hit next. The next thing that happens will hit you harder, and I think they did a pretty good job of that in this. Really good. I mean, they used Ty Burrell, um, which I'm mm -hmm. not super familiar with him. I'm sure he's been in a lot of stuff I've seen, but um, I know him mostly as Steve from Dawn of the Dead. Uh, but he's great. Like he's he's hilarious, and they use him periodically, not just for exposition, but as that kind of comedic relief. And yeah, I think it works. Even in his death, you know, you have this moment where which they 
forecast like 30 minutes ahead of time uh, that Anna was going to be the one to kill him. And mm-hmm. she does without hesitation. And, you know, Ken is like, damn. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Yeah>. just, <laughs> if anyone can give you a, a really good damn, you know, Bing Rames is going to deliver. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> another iconic moment uh, is the, the zombie vans. It's like this little slice of the A-team, right? Where we're constructing our, our doomsday uh, apocalyptic escape vehicles. Uh, and they're like putting on these great grills and it's total A-team throwback. And I don't remember seeing like a, a zombie film or at least, you know, of this type really take the the pains to, to create this little, I don't know, thing uh which leads into the next iconic moment the propane tank explosion just yeah beautiful like it it clears the whole parking lot and i love that really stark contrast because on the one hand you're like where'd all the bodies go on the other hand it, it it's visually communicating the idea that they just detonated everybody out of their way um and now they can just kind of drive uh but it's 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 great and it, they do a lot of explosions in the film because they do the the gas tank that explodes at the beginning when she's driving out um and then at the end uh cj blows up that other propane tank the big one uh and that is huge and the the nice thing about the the one at night is it allows us to kind of see something about explosions which is explosions at night are usually so much better uh it just fills the screen better because the contrast is so much easier on the eyes right the light from the explosion fills out the darkness whereas fire in the daylight doesn't read nearly as well and therefore daytime explosions need to be so much bigger you can get a lot more bang for your buck out of a nighttime explosion. Um, mm-hmm. It just reads better um, because it's not competing against the sun, uh, which is the biggest, brightest light uh, that we have access to. And then we also have the, I did that. Yeah. Um, the chainsaw scene. Like this is oh, man. freaking amazing. And they set it up great because Whenever we're getting our first tour after the the vans have been completed, we have Michael who's giving Anna the tour and he's like, hey, check this out. And we're told how the chainsaw is supposed to operate. He's like, see this? It's going to allow us to to cut zombie off um, from, from, you know, taking over the van. Uh, And we're like, oh, man, that's an incredible idea. Way to go. Uh, And then, you know, they're in the vans and we see it working and we're like, yeah, it works. Brilliant. Uh, And then, of course, you know, we get into uh, uh, some hard turns and we immediately see why you should never have chainsaws in a moving vehicle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then suddenly we're like, this is a terrible idea. Who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> it's just, it takes you through the whole uh, emotional yeah. ride to see how bad ideas don't always present themselves as bad ideas. <laughs> exactly. I do like how they, they kind of explain stuff, you know, that was going to happen beforehand just so that you're not like, whoa, they, okay, they can put the change. Up. Okay, cool, cool. I did like that. That was, that was interesting. And they, and you could tell they didn't have to talk about the, the propane tank too much. You could tell that they were making a bomb mm. out of that for sure. But I think I say, oh yeah. So the, the, the chainsaw <laughs> going into the, into what's her name. I don't even know her, what her name was. The, yeah, I, that was, oh my God, I forgot about that. When it happened, I was like, I was watching and I was like, I go, oh my God. Oh, it was just brutal, brutal. And, but I, but 
I think that, you know, there needed to be a massive cost for what they were doing, yeah. you know, for, for the, the, they had to leave sooner than they had planned. Uh, they're going all the way across town. Um, there were thousands of them. So, uh, they couldn't just get to the marina without anything, you know, really bad happening. So, yeah. So that, I think that they, they kind of needed that to happen and they needed to lose the, the quote unquote dead weight, the old guy who sawed her in half and, and her, like she wasn't, you know, she wasn't like Anna, like she wasn't going to survive. She's mm -hmm. totally going to die. So, okay. How are we going to kill her? Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's set half. a warning for keeping a, a chainsaw <laughs> in a car. Uh, and no, it's yeah. great. It's one of those little moments of detail that I really loved, which is uh, the chainsaw cuts through her. And the first time, I think the first several times I watched this, I never actually I always looked away when that shot happens. Mm. And so this is the first time I think of the 20 times I've seen this movie a lot. Um, not in a while, but I've seen it a lot that I actually just forced myself. You're going to watch this effect and see how it all operates. And they do something really cool, which is the, the chainsaw cuts through her shoulder down her shirt and it cuts off the shirt and it like cuts the bra strap. And that just flips, right? And it just kind of flies off. And obviously, they don't reveal anything, you know, crude. It's a it's a horror moment. But I thought that was just this brilliant little detail that adds to the realism. Because normally, you see that kind of shot, and they just kind of let the, the shirt stay on there. Whereas a chainsaw is probably going to grab. It's going to, like, strip yeah. anything away that can possibly move. And that was just a genius little touch to have cut through the shirt rip it off and the bra strap pop and you're just it, it feels so visceral where you just can't escape it uh it's those little tiny details that add to the realism i think yeah yeah just brilliant. nice yeah another little moment of detail that i loved was this little underwater shot of anna washing her hands in the fountain um they cut and the the audio kind of gets submersed and the the tone kind of rises and you're seeing the blood drift off her hands and it feels threatening and i love that and there's two other shots that jumped out to me i bet there's more if i was thinking about it uh but the first time they go into the parking garage there's before they're attacked by uh, that legless zombie there's like blood on the the wall and we just kind of watch it and it's smeared and so you can kind of it tells a story without telling a story right you just imagine what took place there and we just sit on that for i don't know five or ten seconds and just slowly push in and then um, as they start walking we do a shot of like flashlights on one of the pillars and we just hang there for another 10 seconds and nothing's happening and the thing i love about these three shots um the underwater the parking garage is you don't need those shots to tell this story you know, the, they, they're not moving the narrative forward at all. Uh, even some things that you might think is a detail shot that doesn't need to be there does tell a story like the uh, the fountain scene whenever Ken cuts his arm. Like there's no real reason he needed to cut his arm and get bandaged up. None of that really needs to be there other than to enforce Anna's a nurse um, and that they are hurt people and maybe to create some tension that. Does his arm having been cut, like expose him to the virus? There's some tension you get out of that, but they have a close up of him cutting his arm. Like all those things are there and they're telling a story. They're adding to the story that's happening. These shots don't. 
They don't actually progress the story in any way whatsoever. Uh, they are there for mood. They're there for tone. Um, they're there for other things. But if you deleted them, you still have the story unfold in exactly the same way. Uh, it just adds to the ambience and um, to the mood of the film. And it's creating something, whether it's foreboding or or it's foreboding. Like, I mean, it really is just yeah, creating, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, this under undertone of tension and drama um of what's to come and it's just feathering out the pacing so that you feel it a little bit more um and it's creating suspense and i love that it's you know Zack snyder uh, he does that stuff very very well especially in this movie um yeah i like i agree with you specifically about the um the shot under the water of her washing her hands i felt like it was very symbolic like it was important i mean didn't need to be there but it was also important because that was the first moment of the day where she could actually like feel okay enough to wash her hands. You know what I mean? To wash mm -hmm. off what just happened. You know, uh -huh. her husband tried to kill her. She barely made it out alive and then, you know, found Ving and they got to the thing, to the mall and, and they're, you know, they have to destroy a few zombies or whatever. They're just still nervous. We're all still nervous. And I felt like that was like maybe our first moment of, okay, Take a breath. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. we haven't really been able to since all that ha started happening. Right. Um, so maybe it was for it was for her as a character, but it was also for us as a as a viewer, because at that moment I did feel st stress. I was like, OK, something's going to come up and grab her. Like, yeah. that's what I felt. Mm -hmm. But then after it was gone, like after nothing happened, I was like, oh, OK. Now I can breathe a little bit, you know. Huh. So I don't know if it, I mean, it was probably his intention for it to be stressful um, just because of where it was placed. I felt like it was placed pretty close to that zombie become getting shot and becoming a twitcher, mm -hmm. right? He became a twitcher and then he was just twitching and then to, she's rinsing her hands off next to him in the... It was before that. It was before that happened. Oh, she was rinsing and then mm -hmm. that happened. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was, it was, then, it, then that was exactly how it should have been felt it, it there was a lot of tension and it should have been so it was perfect <laughs> that's awesome they they do a great job too on withholding detail like there's some things that they intentionally don't let us see right we don't see luda get bit i don't remember seeing her get bit uh that's the pregnant woman um who yeah slowly turns um and we also don't see michael get bit at the end whenever he's saving anna and of course not seeing these things allows more suspension and curiosity and timely reveals like things that we're, we're waiting, anticipating. That's really fun. And that, that gives the audience time to build anxiety about like what, what just happened? Is he okay? I think I saw someone bite him, but we didn't see it. We didn't see it up close. So maybe it didn't happen. So there's hope there's conflict that yep. the viewers feeling um, in those moments. And that's awesome. And I'm sure they went, and got those things they got that shot and just decided we're not going to show it um, but it's one of those things on the day that you want to make sure you get it just in case um, yeah. you just never know um, how much you need to give the audience and so that's a safety thing i wouldn't be surprised if they got it but yeah this is all under my cinematography and editing because these are things that go hand in hand and I mean, overall, the whole film has this green tint uh, to, to, to the film and it feels gross. It feels diseased uh, in some ways. And part of me also wonders is if this was part of the uh, post-Matrix effect. After the Matrix came out, 
a lot of things started having this green tint, not just movies, but even commercials would start having a lot of green tint to them. And it just became kind of a style. This Dawn of the Dead also has like really high contrast, right? There's blown out backgrounds at times. Like when Anna and Ken walk into the, the tunnel, like that background is destroyed, man. Mm-hmm. And it's fine. Like it works. I could see them not stressing that at all. For one, we're not really interested in looking at the background where they're in the tunnel and we're just focused on them and what we can't see. But it also, even with that, all that contrast throughout the film really heightens the tone of the movie. Uh, It increases tension, I feel like, because we lose a lot of detail in the scenes. We can't see into the shadows. We can't see much into the the light sources, the highlights. Um, And so it feels like like that feeling whenever you've gone to a movie and you step into the daylight and you're kind of fighting to see what's happening a little bit. You kind of have that throughout the entire movie. You're just constantly fighting to see, uh, make things out and the details. And uh, they strip a lot of that away. And that creates a little bit of visual tension. Um, and it's just a very simple, subtle, brilliant thing. Dude, I'm so glad you explained that because I I didn't know why I felt that way. <laughs> I was watching this and I was thinking, this is like super high contrast <laughs> and it totally works. Why does this work? I didn't, I didn't realize it, but that makes complete sense. You can't see into the darkness. You can't see into the light. You can only see basically what's in front of you. Um, And even behind what's in front of you is very hard to see because a lot of it's pretty shallow and it's Mm -hmm. so it's like out of focus and stuff. So you you're really only able to see this little little rectangle that's in front directly in front of you. So brilliant. Genius stuff. There was this little editing moment and that I loved at the beginning when uh, the little girl bites Anna's husband. They do a very small speed ramp right there where instead of maybe they caught it at 24 frames per second. And instead of letting that play out at, you know, 1.5 seconds, they like sped it up so that it ramped up from 24 frames a second to like, you know, 60 or something just to make her feel that much faster. Probably similar. They whenever she jumps up in the in the hallway, they might have sped that up just a hair, not a ton, but just a hair. And that's just a beautiful shot. Like it's creepy watching a little girl move in this inhuman way. Yeah, it's freaking dope. Um, and with that opening sequence, the bathtub scene, I freaking love this whole sequence, the overhead shot in the bathroom, as we watch her fly backwards into the tub and like try to reach and catch herself. And she misses first off that shot. I, I'm sure that it's the, the answer is probably out there somewhere, but I, it made me wonder, did they create a fake bathtub in, in order to soften it? porcelain is not friendly if you oh man when she hit the thing yeah, yeah i was like that had to hurt yeah <laughs> oh brutal maybe they gave her padded clothes maybe it's just a stunt double it didn't look like a stunt double which is what you want when you use a stunt double <laughs> mm-hmm. and so i don't know how they accomplished that but uh, maybe all three of those things i don't know but it looked brutal. You feel the pain because we all know what that feels like on our feet and on our body. And if you've never dreaded falling in the shower, you've never taken a shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's just horrifying. Um, but also love this cut um, that happens whenever she's escaping out of the window because I think it's perfect. One thing some horror films and just movies in general do that bugs me is uh, this kind of delayed shots to make sure something's registering with the viewer so sometimes you hang on to something like you know 
a one second, two seconds too long just to make sure you see the gun, right? There's a gun, feel threatened, and then you see someone, whatever, kick it out of their hand. And they cut the scene so perfectly in order to make sure you get all the visual elements that you need to put it all together. And they time it so well that you never feel like they're cheating for the camera. It's so fluid and it's so smooth. Uh, and I, I completely buy into the whole thing. And so we see her get halfway out of the window, the bathroom window, as her husband is, you know, breaking into the, you know, uh, the, the bathroom. And we cut to see her outside, right? She's outside halfway and he climbs in, finally gets in and he's approaching her feet. We cut back to her outside and we see her kind of start to create momentum. And we cut back to her feet and we see her, the motion of her kicking her husband in the face. And it's all perfect. It's not overly telegraphed. So there's no unnecessary frames added to help sell this moment um, without belaboring it. And so we get the feeling of she's ramping up and also her husband arrives just at, at the moment when she needs to wind up the kick and it just kind of click, click, click. Uh, it's beautiful editing um and uh big hat tip to to whoever cut this as well as Zack snyder for you know loving the, the cut because i think some directors get a little anxious about i want to make sure the viewer understands what what they're seeing and it's like no it's a, it's a good edit you can see it all if they blink they miss it their fault like let's just yeah let's let's move on and with that oh there's one moment that I didn't like um, please that it just didn't work, which is the whole sequence, the, the early moment, whenever we find out the, the there's a dad and his daughter, the dad's been bitten. Um, and I think this was Dr. Doctor from back in the day and he's playing this guy, right? And he's been bitten on the arm and there's this melodramatic moment that his daughter's like, you know, don't go away. Leave my dad alone. And, I think the writing's fine. I think I, I'm going to blame the directing on that one. Like, I don't know. It just didn't work. It felt a little forced. All of it just came off uh, a little just melodramatic and like, uh, okay, uh, y'all y'all should have worked through the scene a little bit more. Um, and I don't know. Maybe they didn't have time. Maybe it worked really well in rehearsal and you got on set um, and just couldn't get it to pop. Shooting a movie like this, there's probably not a lot of time to, to work through stuff but i don't know that whole moment just didn't work for me but editing wise there is a moment that really did work for me <laughs> what which is after ken kind of hauls him off and is getting ready to pump around into his face um we cut <laughs> to the daughter leaving and we watch this all happen right after the daughter leaves her father for the last time we watch her on a monitor and the security camera right as she walks yeah. through the main lobby and then she goes and finds some store and she ducks behind the counter and is just kind of crying and trying to console herself and it works and we're watching it from the perspective of the security guards which is why we can see that security footage now what's cool is they're watching on one security camera as this all happens and that's just not how security cameras work right security cameras don't follow people like Mm -hmm. The camera, it, the monitor is watching one camera. And if she walks out of frame, it doesn't just magically find her and the next right. camera. Like this is something the whatever the UK struggles with. They have like security cameras 
by the thousands over there, but tracking someone across cameras um, is next to impossible. Like they yeah. just, they don't communicate that way. And so I love this edit though, because the edit works because we, the audience want to track her and we want to see what she does. And so there's an emotional need to see what she does next and to cut to where she's at next. And so the audience, we never actually think twice about this little editing cheat um, because we have such a compulsion to want to see where she's going and what's happening next. It would feel weird uh, to suddenly just let her walk off camera and then we don't see what what she goes and does. And so the editing works. It's a complete cheat, uh, but it works because the viewer has a need, a compulsion to see what happens, which is ultimately why all editing works because we all have this compulsion to want to see what happens next? Where did they go? What are they looking at? Those questions arise in the viewer's mind and the editor knows I need to fulfill this wish by cutting to a shot that shows what they're looking out of the window, um, et cetera. Yeah. Dude, that's, that's dope. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I remember that shot actually. And I loved it. And uh, yeah, I didn't buy that whole thing. I think it was just because like they were brand new already um, mm. to it. And so I, I just didn't have any connection to his character at all. You know, I didn't know who he was and or anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, I felt for the daughter uh, and for him, but, it, you know, I was just, yeah, I don't think that it that it landed for me either. Yeah. And, you know, can't win them all. <laughs> yeah, that's and that's all right. Yeah, I was still there. Cool. It was, it's not like we ejected out of the film. It was just like, OK, I get what y'all are doing. Let's get to the punchline. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um only a couple more notes, I guess. Uh, writing and story-wise, really strong start. Now, the thing that I love what they do at the beginning of this movie is we start at the end of Anna's day. Most movies begin you at the beginning of someone's day. We see, and for good reason, like I'm not slamming it. Um, you generally, generally want to establish someone's life, their pattern, before we break that pattern with the big story, right? Um, the call to adventure, whatever that may be. And so normally you watch someone as they wake up, you know, have breakfast with their family, uh, go do whatever. Uh, and that's all fine. There's good ways of doing that and bad ways of doing it. Uh, some of our favorite films do very much that stuff. Uh, it's, it's very much a, a question of style, not content. But what I love what they do here is we start at the end of her day. She's a nurse. Of course, um, she's getting off a long shift. And so it makes sense to see what this looks like from her perspective. And uh, we get to go and establish her life through her husband. Right. They have this quick little conversation about their favorite show and she pulls his shoes off. And I love that little moment because she's we've confirmed she's. At the end of a shift, she's gone overtime. Um, this doctor's kind of a dick. And yet she comes home and she's still like a really good person. She takes her husband's shoes off. Like she's tired. She doesn't need to do that. But they love each other. And it's such a good way to kind of build rapport between them. They're talking about their favorite show. We're establishing a lot of backstory without a lot of work. We can just imagine them, you know, every week sitting and watching their American Idol or whatever they're doing. And then we have a great sex scene that's not like over the top, but it's used in a really quick way to do a couple of things to sell their connection together. Right. That's her husband, uh, which, of course, heightens the tragedy or the uh, the frustration whenever he turns. And so you're just trying to do these little things to egg on the audience uh, to feel bad for her and her situation and to feel the the effects of the apocalypse. But that sex scene also explains 
why she's in the dark about what's happening. As we're getting the exposition through the newscast, they're in there getting it on. Um, and so we, the viewer, now have the dramatic irony of, we have begun. <laughs> the apocalypse is officially on. And then throughout a lot of the movie, Anna stays in this blue sh shirt. Not It's not an actual, I don't think it's an actual like a scrub, but they use that blue shirt at, to kind of reinforce her nurse persona. Like it's just a very simple wardrobe detail um, that helps connect her to who she is uh, within the story, right? We have a cop and uh, he's usually in uniform and whatever else. The security guards are in their security uniforms. It just helps kind of categorize people and identify them so that we, the viewer, never gets lost through all these bodies that we're constantly encountering. Another thing writing-wise that I love, this is so good, is there's so much wasted effort oh, yeah. and plans that backfire like there's nothing better in a horror film than a really good plan that blows up in your face <laughs> that's really satisfying yeah. especially in a movie where you, no one walks into a zombie film thinking everything's going to be okay in the end <laughs> like yeah you go in expecting devastation and uh craving it i mean as shitty as that is the that's the catharsis of it is seeing no that i mean that's the reason you're there that's the reason why they made the movie i feel <laughs> yeah. like right absolutely and so they devise these plans right the chainsaw one we talked about earlier uh the dog delivering the food oh good idea look oh, it's working so and now actually nope it got your buddy that you absolutely had to have you got him killed mm -hmm. and then you see the the girl who's lost everyone in her life and she's not going to lose her dog too <laughs> uh yeah. that that came at a cost i don't remember how she died how did she die did she make it? We never um, see her or Anna die. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're at the end. Like she's there. She at makes the it end. to the boat. Okay. Yeah, on the boat. Mm -hmm. Nice. Which is a whole other. Yep, that's a whole other plan that blows up in their face, um, mm -hmm. almost literally. I love that they leave the movie. They could have just left it there. They made it to the boat. Way to go, guys! Instead, the so we have this kind of feel good setting into the the sunset. But then we had the the credits that reveal, nope, everybody, they're gone. <laughs> it's such a great use because it, it doesn't, like, you don't have to sit in the theater long to know that, oh, wait, something else is going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, they just sporadically throw in the, 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 the footage throughout. And I think that that's great. I mean, there, there is something to be said about, like, having... Um, you know, how they do with Marvel movies where you have something at the end of the credits and stuff. And that's that's really cool for those those kinds of films. But I think that this in particular, doing that throughout, it was just so good. It was there's something about it being broken up, you know, in between yeah. the credits that made it feel like a little more tension than if we were to just see it all cut together at the end. I don't know. Agreed. But I just loved it. It was different than than other ways. That, yeah. That they have done that. And yeah, it gives you a really easy way to progress their story without sitting for 30 seconds straight. It's like, yeah. how can we tell their story in three second bursts? Um, how is Zack Snyder to you as a director? Are you like, you know, how do you, do you look at him and you think, uh, or do you watch his movies and think, Oh man, this guy is like amazing. Is he like one of your favorites? Is he, yeah. I, as a director, I think he's really fantastic. Whether we're talking about 300 Dawn of the dead, my problem is sometimes he doesn't always pick very good scripts. Sucker Punch mm -hmm. is one that I believe he wrote, and I was super excited about it whenever he announced it because I was just like, this guy doesn't miss. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, you're an incredibly strong visual storyteller. 
but doesn't necessarily always pick, you know, the best stories. Uh, and so I don't know. I think yeah. he's, he's, he's hit and miss whenever James Gunn writing your script for you. Great. And so I think that would be my, my hope for him is for someone else to, to write better scripts for him. All this stuff in the DC universe, I think does not work. And even though it, they, it all, you know, for the most part looks gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, very hit and miss. Well, yeah, I mean, DC is a whole nother yeah, conversation. True. Fair enough. I feel like, you know, <laughs> but, but, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm curious. But yeah, I feel like all of their ideas suck, right? All the wasted efforts and backfiring plans because ultimately their biggest failure, and this is what's so good, is that they failed to survive the tedium of a zombie apocalypse. Like <laughs> if you're doing it right, the zombie apocalypse is a very boring show. <laughs> yes. Surviving should be very, very boring after the initial, you know, panic. Uh, once you get to a certain point, like you're, you're either going to make it or you're not. Um, and if they could have just stuck with the tedium of it, uh, they would have been fine. They could have, you know, slow played it and seen what happens. And, you know, it, at worst, you die of starvation in the mall. I think that's your best case scenario. Uh, and yeah. And so I, I, I think that's just kind of hilarious. Yeah. And one last piece here, which is the smooth exposition. And then I have a couple more questions for uh, Le Todd. Okay. So <laughs> zombie films lend themselves to very easy exposition because the audience walks in already knowing the punchline you don't really have to catch us up to speed uh the only thing you really need to do is give us a little bit of information to let us know where the characters are and their discovery now to be fair this came out in 04 and there's probably still some people who weren't super familiar with uh all the tropes um or maybe just enough and so they still give you all the information if you had never heard of a zombie before and you watch this movie you would be perfectly able to suss out all the rules of the universe. They give you all that stuff. But we walk in knowing it's a zombie film and that there are tropes and that they will tell us what to listen for and what to look for. So if you do know walking in, they do everything like to to get you excited or to like, here's all the, the clues, right? Anna's patient had a bite, but why are they scanning the patient's head? Um, and so they do this kind of thing a lot to to let us fill in all the blanks of where the rules are in this universe in particular and where we are within their discovery. Like they do a really great job of that. And even the one of the first encounters we have after Anna meets Ken, we we meet who is it, Michael and Andre uh, and the pregnant woman Luda and there's this great comment like we're going over there and the Andre is like, you don't want to go that way. We tried. And instead of saying like, there's a lot of zombies and instead of like drawing that out instead, Michael just says very quick, simple line back when there was eight of us and now there's three of yeah. them. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It fills in all the story that you need for one uh, obviously you, you you start filling in the blank like oh damn like they lost some of their team but you also get this feeling that they were a team mm -hmm. like these are people that are looking for other survivors and they're they're okay um to be around and so there's a sense of safety that you get also by hearing uh and feeling a little bit of their tragedy and it all kind of just comes at the expense of 
you know, a few, a few words, you know, you build empathy, backstory, um, and hope, uh, all in, all in a row. And uh, the fact that she's pregnant also gives you a sense that, oh, these guys are, they're good to go because the, the worst people in an apocalypse don't want anything to do with a pregnant woman. That's nothing but trouble. It's going to slow you down. It's going to get you killed, uh, in you know, a dozen different ways. And so just freaking great little piece of exposition and uh, character building i think there is great comedic exposition right steve largely provides a lot of this he gives us a lot of information through comedy and sarcasm when we first meet him the first time we see him he's on that bench i don't know if he's having a coffee or what but uh they're asking about fort whatever some fort thing Oh yeah, right. And he's like, "Yeah, they're dead ish," <laughs> and oh, yeah. it's pissing off Ken. He's like, "What does that uh-huh. mean?" <laughs> he's like, "Well, they're dead in the sense that you know they fell down and then got back up and you know started eating each other." <laughs> 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 and he's just being a jerk. Uh, same thing. Whenever we develop our plan um, to to go for the boat, right? And it's yeah. So you want want to swing by the marina and hop on my boat, you bunch of jackasses. Uh, and so he's just always throwing in these little bits of pieces. But the nice thing about his first one, whenever he's like, yeah, they're dead ish. He just walks us through. He reminds us of the progression of turning as we're about to see it firsthand again here in a second, because that's right before the old woman dies and turns and same thing with the father, right? They reinforce all the rules, bang, bang, bang. But before they do it, they also remind us, here's what's going to happen. And they just slide it in through the comedy, right? Through Steve. Uh, And so it's really great because it adds, it's not just exposition. It's, uh, it's contrast. Now we have Ken and he's being frustrated by Steve and allowing their conflict to create expositional moments is just top notch. Good writing. Yes. I love that. Awesome. Also love Ken. Whenever they introduce the dog idea, it's so good because they're all fighting with each other. And he looks at this dog who's wearing this perfect pack. And all he says is he first, he shuts everybody up by, you know, saying, shut the F up. Uh, and then he's just like, I have an idea and that's it. Now we've already started the piece together, but he doesn't need to explain it to them. Instead, we just cut to the plan in action, right? There's no more exposition. Yeah. It's a demonstration. We're going to see the plan. And what I like is from there, a few minutes later, the the plan goes to crap and Nicole jumps in the, the, the van and runs across the parking lot to try to rescue the dog. And now we're all wait, watching and waiting to see what happens next. Um, and because she gets there, she jumps out of the car and she gets out of our view. We can no longer, the, the viewer, we can no longer see what's happening. Instead, we cut back to Ken and now he's giving us the exposition. I see her. She got in. She's safe. Um, because our view is ex- obstructed. Now we can just watch Ken as he watches with binoculars. And now we get the update from him. It's a very slick way to not strain the visuals uh, because at a certain point we can't really see what's happening anyway. Let's just listen to it. That's fine. Uh, it works. It, it's probably a little easier to film. And it also gives us a way to no longer expect more visual updates because from there, the rest of her updates come through the walkie talkies. And now yeah. we're just kind of, feeling the way they feel we can't help we can't go to her we can't do anything but listen and dread uh yeah yeah i love that because the whole the whole interaction with with them and what's the guy the gun guy 
across the way. Oh, uh, uh, God. yeah. The guy on, on top of the building. Anyway, Andy, um, Andy, Andy, thank you. Has been through the lens of binoculars has mm. been, we haven't even heard this guy's voice yet. So it would make no sense to be able to see her on the other side of a truck that far away as well. So, you know, I think those kinds of things are what directors are specifically for, right? If yeah. anybody says, okay, well, so if somebody's filming, uh, somebody else is filming this and it's the cinematographer, well, what's the director? Where's the line for what the director is going to do, right? So the cinematographer is going to say, okay, this, this angle is probably best, but the director will say, okay, that's a great angle. Now get closer or, or back up. What I want to do is fill the frame with what I need um, in that moment. Um, or, or I want this picture, make this picture as good as you possibly can. You know, this is where I want the camera. Now, how do we make this as good as we can? And, and I think that that is a perfect example of, of someone, a, a master like Zach say, saying, okay, now nobody else, you know, we, we want to, we want to keep everybody a little bit in the dark because everybody around, uh, Ken is in the dark. So let's just, like you said, have, have Ken tell everyone, including the audience, what he sees through the binoculars, which is very little, to be honest. It's mm. just, okay, he sees that she's in, but now we don't, you know, and the walkie-talkie is a brilliant little little thing in there, right? Of, of like, okay, well, she still has the stuff because she didn't give it to Andy. because Andy's dead. So now we're talking to her in the closet. And we know that she's she's safe, quote-unquote, in the closet, which then means okay now we have to accelerate our plan and make this happen in some weird way right so yeah it just Perfect. furthers the story really yeah. really well well i love that yeah that's a really interesting you know idea uh, that you're talking about which is the why is the director necessary because that's a good point I, I wonder if there are a lot of people who are like well if they're not operating the camera if they're not like shooting it like what's really their function they're not acting in it and they're holding it all in their head. They're seeing how it yeah. all plays together because yeah, you're right. This might be the, you know, a beautiful shot, but that's not really telling the story the way I want it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, get closer because it's going to fill out the frame and it's going to make the viewer feel uncomfortable. Now you're getting into the psychology of the story that you're telling. It's not just how can we tell the story? It's how can we make the biggest impact on the viewer? Yeah. Um, and that takes so much forethought and foresight and uh, communication across all kinds of departments. They're all playing in harmony. I would and, tell you what, man, making a film is like got to be one of the hardest things, like an actual, you know, like, like multimillion dollar film. It's got to be like one of the hardest things. I mean, any film in general, yeah. but you know, the bigger the crews, the more the, the communication has to be on point, the more like um, everyone has to be on the same page. You know, if like, if it's you filming a, a film by yourself, you can do that pretty easily. Yeah. You can just like, I don't like that. I'm going to do it again. Um, but when there's, you know, a hundred people on set and they all have to capture this thing in this way, exactly. And it's just maybe a two second shot. Right. And then you've got what, like 700 of them to make a movie. Like, Oh my gosh. That's crazy, man. It's a great point. It does take a lot of thought. And uh, the difference between, you know, our sets versus this kind of set is just massive. Because here's the thing. If you want a shot and 
you suddenly change your mind. Well, to reverse the camera around isn't just a, a five second thing. Like you and I with the camera, we can, you know, change position at the, the blink of an eye. Whereas they have video village, they have, you know, the gear sitting around you have trucks in the background you can't just turn the camera around and start shooting all all the time unless the lighting the lighting like all of this the the grip work uh you might have to move your entire like trucks you might have to get the teamsters to like move all your trucks out of the background um depending on what you're trying to shoot like it can become a massive thing and ideally you're not staging all that stuff right behind the camera but some things you do and depending Mm -hmm. on the set you just don't have a choice and so, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of forethought and the more, you know, going into production on, on a given day of what you're trying to accomplish and why, uh, the smoother things become. Yeah. It's a very finely tuned choreographed dance that doesn't always come together until, you know, third, fourth, fifth day. Sometimes as uh, you're getting into a rhythm and this is why a lot of teams work together time and time again. I, I worked on Friday the 13th a while back and our AD, our assistant director, like left about two thirds of the way through the shoot um, because Michael Mann was starting his next film and he had to go. That's Michael Mann's guy. Uh, and so we had to bring in a whole new AD in the middle of our shoot. Um, oh my God. And that's, that's a big thing. Like they're coordinating a lot of stuff, the schedule. Um, and Waxman just doesn't know when production is going to start on these things. And so he thinks, yeah, I have time. And then he finds out he doesn't that's his that's his number one guy and so you when michael mann says hey i'm ready to shoot michael mann wants his guy and working with the same people over and over and over again creates a lot of fluidity so that whenever you have your first week on set you don't lose it to stupid stuff like just communication errors and um understanding how someone likes to work uh it it pays off you know having your team yeah and so i have uh two-ish questions left for you for one is there anything you'd want to see in a zombie film that you feel like you haven't seen yet? That's a really big, hard question. And so if wow. you don't know off the top of your head, that's fine. Wow. With that, maybe have that pinging around in the back of your head. Let me ask you the next question. Um, do you have a zombie survival plan? And if so, what is it? Okay. <laughs> I've learned nothing from any of these movies. No, I'm going to immediately die. Um, well, for one thing, uh, I don't think that guns work. Mm. Uh, I'll just be honest. I think that you run out of bullets too fast. You're just going to kill a few and then you're eventually going to die because you're going to run out. And what can a gun do? Mm. I mean, after with no bullets, not a damn thing. So I think I would grab a bat or a, a golf club or something, something that I can I can wield, right? Or like maybe, yeah, a bat with nails in it or something. I don't know. But yeah, so so that'd be one thing. I'd head uh, out to the country as, as far out in the middle of nowhere as possible or into the into the, the ocean. I'd grab a boat and go into the ocean, right? That's probably what I'd do. Nice. I'd go on to water somewhere for sure, for sure. Ooh. Yeah, I don't have, I don't know. I don't have a plan. I don't have a survival plan other than go on water. I think that that's probably the best uh, suggestion. I think that most people will probably do that, right? Wouldn't you? Yeah, I feel like, you know, if you 
have just the smallest bit of prep, you can last a really long time on the water because you can fish out of there. Um, and if you set yourself up right, you can probably, you know, desalinate and catch rainwater um, for fresh water. Uh, and those two things alone will get you most of the way. Now, at some point, you're going to need to get some like vitamin C mm -hmm. and figure out a way for that or else you're going to get scurvy. And I don't I assume that kills you, but I don't know. Yeah, it does for sure. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, and to answer your first question, n not with zombies specifically. Mm. I, I don't think there's anything really that I mean, look, screenwriters and 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 directors prove me wrong and make something freaking awesome that i've never seen before please involving zombies but i think something involving zombies but going farther so so um what i think about sometimes when i watch these is is the reason for a zombie apocalypse right so mm. it's either it's either um been a uh, like a virus you know kind of thing mm -hmm. or it's been that there's no more room in heaven or hell right yeah and so what would it be like to be able to have a conversation with either god or the devil or whoever's making it happen as to as to why right huh. and have them like explain it or not necessarily explain it but just like ha have that be the conversation of like okay is there is it really full i mean come on that's <laughs> bullshit right is it bullshit? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know anything. But that would be interesting because you're then you're taking it to the source of of where it's coming from, right? Yeah. I think that I love the idea of it being a virus. I think that that is very real and and not necessarily the zombie aspect is real, but like if it were to actually happen, that it would probably be um, the the impetus of it happening is some kind of disease or virus or something. But you know taking it to a place that that nobody's really experienced before like that would be really interesting to to like what what would that screenplay look like i have no idea you know like what would it really be a conversation would it be more metaphysical i i have no idea but but as a starting yeah. point it's a lot of interesting fun opportunity yeah because i think that especially recently it hasn't you know the whole idea of of heaven or hell is, is full that's like an old thing like that mm -hmm. that was like the 80s 60s you know like or like you know that kind of stuff but we haven't really done that i don't feel like in the last 20 years maybe we have but and i just can't think of it but like i think most things are, are just because it's a virus or yeah. some kind of sickness yeah so it would be interesting to explore that like what would that look like if you could actually go to the source of that i don't know what about you nice survival plan i have none. I think if I were to put together one, um, if I was going to be responsible, um, for whatever that's worth, uh, in this scenario, <laughs> uh, I think I would probably make some kind of pack, right. That gives me seeds that I would research, like what seeds can I buy that are easy to plant and harvest, um, to keep me fed, you know, maybe some kind of field manual. Uh, I think the army has a really great field manual about how to operate and read directions and all kinds of stuff or something along those lines, some kind of survivalist guide. And then, yeah, from there, I'd probably want some kind of weapons as much for the people that you can't trust as, you know, as for uh, the zombies themselves. Oh, good thought. Um, good thought. Because I think you're right. Ultimately, 
once you're at your safe place, guns are a really bad idea. They're just going to draw attention. And, but if you, if you do it right, maybe you can use guns to hunt for food or something. And that would require some, some planning and thought, but after that, yeah, I don't, I don't know where I would go. Um, (sighs) yeah, it's probably if I can find come to California, Cali, I'm in, oh man, that wouldn't be bad at all. Um, (laughs) never be, be as terrible as anywhere else. For the other thing, yeah, I don't know if there is anything that I want to see that I haven't necessarily seen yet from a zombie film. And I don't know why I thought of that question. Uh, uh, I think you gave a really fun, interesting, unique answer um, that I certainly can't improve upon. But it would be a fun thing to think about. Like, what is it that the idea of zombies can illuminate on? And just referencing the movies we were talking about before, the original Dawn, what was the... 20 days later uh, and saying, okay, what else could we extrapolate from putting people in this kind of situation where the zombies themselves aren't important, but they allow you to arrive at some other ideas and test some other thesis um, and concepts about whether it's humanity, disease, hope, and the human spirit. Like there's a lot of other things that we could probably mine that won't necessarily be, you know, this brand new shiny object uh but could maybe you know be reflected in a zombie film in a way that hasn't been reflected in other types of genres and so that's probably where i would start if i was going to put together a zombie film um is to ask those questions and bullet point and explore story opportunities through that uh avenue yeah cool yeah so what uh that's all i got i Uh. i don't know if i said it before um I love this movie. I, it works for me on every level. It's entertaining. It's both hilarious and uh, visually pleasing. It's one of my favorite zombie films. Uh, I like it. I think it improves on the original Dawn of the Dead. Um, I know that's heresy, um, but I I love this more than yeah Romero's. Uh, not that Romero obviously Romero's isn't isn't bad. He's the he's the king. But yeah, it, it works yeah. for me. It's pleasing in every way i need it to be <laughs> yeah i agree i enjoyed it i thought it, i thought it was great yeah it's a, like i said it's a good popcorn movie i don't think that it's it's like um it's definitely i have several others that are zombie films that are or just a couple at least that are like you know i don't know what yeah. could top them yeah but it's definitely up there as like a really enjoyable thing to watch on a on you know like any evening right mm-hmm. um yeah Nothing nice. jumped out as like terrible or anything to me. So no. I really, I really enjoyed it. Which is impressive for what, 17 years on? Like, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, that might sound like, you know, you know, a static film or whatever, but that's not what it's intended. It's, it's, you know, if you can be, if you can be a movie like this, yeah, 17 years later, and it's still like, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. That's a win, man. That's a win. It, it really is. And you know what's funny is I never once expected because of the apocalyptic nature that there would be cell phones or some of these other current day tech. Um, it never felt like it should be in there. Mm. Not because I was expecting it from 2004, but because I felt like there was so much failure across the board that why would those things work? Um, and so yeah. I never felt their absence, I guess is what I say, as opposed to some films 
you do um and you go with it anyway because yeah. of the era but this it felt mm-hmm. complete to me um cool nice so what are you going to recommend this week uh I, i'm surprised i haven't re- i guess i'm not surprised i haven't recommended this before i don't really recommend horror very often because i I'm, it's not my favorite mm-hmm. um but i remember seeing this in the theater and it's scaring the living bejeebas out of me because i didn't know what to expect uh i'm going to recommend rec rec which is short for record and so interesting thing about this film it's a it's like a spanish found footage horror film i forget when 2007 i think it it came out and it was the budget was two million dollars and it made 33 million dollars in the box office i mean talk about a success right I mean, I think that a lot of the found footage films are very similar in that regard. You know, you don't worry about lighting so much. You just kind of like shoot in a lot of ways. I know there's a lot more that goes into it, obviously. But this one in particular was just, holy hell, there was no humor to break it up. It just hurt the whole time. And being in a theater in Round Rock when no one else was in the theater in the middle of the night, I was terrified. So, yeah gonna recommend rec what an incredible recommendation todd oh were you gonna recommend that it was on my list but you know what Uh, i i decided was actually to recommend uh a very similar film called quarantine which is the uh, american remake (laughs) (laughs) oh which is literally the american American version version. (laughs) it's a wreck beat for beat and yeah i think I think I like the, the, the American version a little bit better, although mm-hmm. Rec 2 I like better than the American version of that. And so, but they're both absolutely fantastic. You can't lose either way. Yeah. And for all the reasons you just said, I don't need to like expound on it at all. Like, uh, for yeah. a small budget that some of the stuff that they do is really impressive because there's a shot where someone falls down like a, uh, a well basically uh, a stairwell and it's freaking amazing like because it's all fluid and happening in camera uh yeah wow excellent recommendation sir so wreck and sir. quarantine will have both of those trailers in the show notes and stay tuned for next week we're going to conclude our horror films we're ejecting a little early this year because um, there was a uh, there's so many new films coming out in october that we just couldn't quite dwindle as long as we normally do on on halloween films but we continue and wrap up with the witch um and so stay tuned for that robert eggers film and if you're enjoying the show don't forget to subscribe drop us a review on itunes alex mentioned uh told me over the gram the other day that she's about to to drop us some some more love so i'm excited for that miss alex um and if you want to leave us a note saying if there's something you want us to cover a movie she wants movie want us to talk about feel free to do that uh and if you want to leave a note on this episode to discuss Zack snyder's dawn of the dead you can do that at the pestpodcast.com slash dawn of the dead and we'll leave you with a quote of the day from george romero a zombie film is not fun without a bunch of stupid people running around and observing how they fail to handle the situation <laughs> Didn't that? I mean, yes and no, right? Like one of my favorite zombie movies is like the antithesis of that. Yeah. So, so 
to yes i get it but it's not necessarily fun so maybe he is right mm. yeah. the entertainment value comes from exactly yeah watching and jackasses. i get that yeah. i get i i guess i agree with that yes yeah <laughs> well said nice nice uh, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for staying with us. Uh, I had a great time. I'm glad you had good at ACL. You had a good time at ACL, man, and enjoyed that. Congrats on that. Uh, again, join us next week. We're covering The Witch, so make sure to watch that and review us on iTunes and all that stuff and, and make a suggestion. We'd love to, to hear what you think. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Go watch some movies.